0: Owning our story and loving ourselves through the process is the bravest thing that we will ever do. Brene Brown Bending Not Breaking The Gifts of Imperfection Edition Episode 1 Wholehearted Living Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. This is the Gifts of Imperfection edition, and this is our first episode of featuring Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection. Uh, We are doing a, a deep dive in which we will read the book in sections and then discuss how moments of the Avatar universe align and brush up against the learnings from the book. I'm really excited about this. I've As many of you who are listening know, we reference Bernie Brown very often on the podcast, and this is a chance for us to really dive in deep. So my goal is that you don't necessarily have to read this book or buy the book to enjoy the content of these episodes, but I do think that having the book and having read it would enrich your experience. So this will be almost like a A book club in which we are featuring Avatar content. So if you do intend to purchase the book, remember your local bookstores really appreciate the sales way more than corporations do. That is just something I want to lift up for you all. So this is going to be a different format we're still playing with the format of our usual content so uh, we may change and adapt them as we move through but one goal i hope to follow through with is providing you with page numbers uh, so that you can you know make sure we're all on the same page literally and figuratively so this week our intention is to engage with everything through the first chapter of the book so in the 10th anniversary edition that is page 31 so that means we're going to read the 10th anniversary note the preface the introduction and then chapter one next week we will read through page 65 which is the end of chapter three so If you want to pause this and go back and read through page 31 that is a great opportunity for you to just check that out or feel free to just keep on listening so even though we are taking on this book in smaller chunks we will still be unable to really to cover it all there's so much important content in these pages and you know we just won't be able to get ga- engage with everything that's on the table so we, we will do this imperfectly but that will not stop us from trying to engage with it at all uh, so I just wanted to lift that up for your uh, engagement and understanding and If you end up enjoying the content of these episodes, uh, this is somewhat of a new thing that we're gonna try. I'm offering a Patreon exclusive opportunity in which people can choose to meet with me virtually one-on-one, in which we'll engage with the Avatar universe, or frankly, the universe of your choice, if I have you know, some knowledge about it, whether that be Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, the Dragon Prince, etc., but the Avatar universe for the bulk of our, our listeners, and and we can engage with the Avatar universe and the guideposts to hold hard living in Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. So my goal will be to accompany you and, and walk through this with you on your own personal journey and uh, your, your development and using the media of your choice as a guide in tandem with Brene's work. If you're interested in more information that feels at all intriguing to you, feel free to email us directly at the at gmail.com for more information. If you're curious about other perks, you should definitely check out our Patreon regardless. So it's BNB underscore pod. We have many episodes. Uh, we have other uh, content as well. So I just, I recommend checking that out. And if not, you can join our Facebook group to learn more and engage other listeners and us about the episodes. And you can check us out on all the social medias, BNB underscore pod, and we welcome your engagement. Okay, so... Today, we are going to start by recommending a free resource called the Wholehearted Inventory. And, um, you know, Brene mentions this at the beginning of her book, which you can find this inventory at BreneBrown.com forward slash Wholehearted Inventory. And again, if you just search it on Google, it will come up as well. So it's in the Gifts of Imperfection Hub on the website. And I lift this up because it is a good indicator of where we are on this journey now. And then it gives us something to kind of look forward to. So for me, I know that I have just retaken this inventory and I now have a barometer of where I am on each of these you know, guideposts that we're gonna be engaging with. And so I will be referencing my personal scores, and theoretically uh, having our scores available together will enrich our self-awareness. It also gives us, like, some, if we want to improve in any specific area, it gives us a chance to say, Ooh, I need need to work on this. This is something that I really want to engage with more. So that just is a, a tool that will help us have something to bear in mind as we engage with this content. So why are we doing this? Like, why, why is this avatar-focused podcast engaging with the Brene Brown book, The Gifts of Imperfection? And, you know, there's a line in the 10th Anniversary Note that really speaks to my desire to engage with this material in this way. It reads, Everyone deserves brave and space, safe spaces to be vulnerable none of us can fully embrace the gifts of vulnerability, courage, and authenticity if any of us are denied these spaces. And man, if that just doesn't like cultivate a sense of what we're trying to accomplish with our our podcast, we, we want to create a brave and safe space to, to talk about, Avatar and the Dragon Prince and anything else we lift up in a way that like embraces vulnerability and courage and lifts up authenticity and helps us all live into who we are meant to be and You know we're engaging with the world of Avatar because the show cultivates these spaces so well with its audience the shows characters model vulnerability they model courage they model authenticity and and man, they fight for everyone in their world to be able to do the same. And let's be real, they do it imperfectly, but that's kind of the whole point is that like, that's what makes it so beautiful. And dare I say, even in, even more real and potentially even more sacred if we treat it so. So that's kind of why we are engaging with this material. I think it really, um, I think they partner really well with one another. And so I just wanted to give us an opportunity to dive in and so kind of talking about why we're doing this leads us into like okay the gifts of imperfection the guide posts to wholehearted living we have to kind of break down what is this whole wholeheartedness thing and again all of my references are going to come from the book or from the show so just keep keep that in mind but wholeheartedness is kind of described as how we know and understand ourselves is critically important Right. But there's something that's even more essential to living a wholehearted life, and that is loving ourselves. And, you know, that really just in my mind lifts up Iroh, because in this moment in season two, episode 17, where Zuko has just released Appa and instead of, you know, capturing him and holding on for himself, you know, Iroh comes in and says, it's time to look inward. And begin asking yourself the big questions. Who are you and what do you want? Right? And it's that self-awareness is important. We have to know what we want. We have to know who we are. But if we only, if we are kind to ourselves, ourselves on on the path to that self-discovery and we see Zuko struggle with this. But I, I think that that's a great moment to kind of like this is the start where zuko is beginning to come become aware of the fact that he's on this path to embrace his wholeheartedness rather than living in the shadows of trying to fit in to the fire nation and trying to you know constantly trying to like defend his worthiness with his father and i think this is a moment where Who are you and what do you want is a great question to to begin our wholehearted journey. So diving in a little bit more, what is this wholeheartedness thing? And and speaking of worthiness, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to worthiness and engaging with the world from a place of worthiness rather than from a place of scarcity, which which means that no matter how much gets done, or is left undone. I am enough. I am imperfect and afraid. And also I am brave and worthy of love and belonging. Man, like, and if that's not a big concept, right, that is, that's huge for a lot of us. And we are, we are living in a culture of scarcity right now. Scarcity is the, the, the air we're breathing in collectively. And and scarcity can kind of be boiled down to the phrase, never blank enough. And that can translate t- to whatever our shame triggers are. So never thin enough, never smart enough, never pretty enough, never rich enough, never, you know, not strong enough. There every, whatever that is for you. I, oh, I have never enough. I'm never enough of this. And I'll be real, I'm operating from definitely a place of financial scarcity right now because I'm doing everything I can and squandering my, my life energy, earning as much as I can to pay for school. And when I make decisions to live my life constantly out of nervousness, it becomes... Nervous is to lose that money. It's like, oh, I'll I'll never have enough. And so I become more reluctant to spend it in ways that I know would bring me joy. So that's just one example. But there's also like the never, you know, I grew up in a a family that really focused on body image. And, you know, I think it's for people, I think nine out of ten have issues regarding body image that is like unreal (laughs) nine out of ten i think is a reference in one of Brené's books i don't think it's the gifts of Imperfection*, but yeah i think that's that's terrifying because that means that every time someone is thinking about their body in some way and feeling that it's not enough and this is my my chance to be like y'all we We are enough. (laughs) You are enough. You deserve to be here regardless of the shame triggers that are surrounding your your body or the shame triggers that you are you're engaging with and these tapes that are constantly playing in our heads. But yeah, I mean just to re say it one more time, scarcity is the culture we're living in, and that's why I think cultivating this wholehearted behavior and this wholehearted these guideposts that are the practices and the things that we need in order to embrace that is really integral to moving forward as a as a culture I think that's one of the things we need to move forward and you know one moment that it really reminds me of is the scene with Aang and Monk Gyatso in season one where they're playing Paisho. show here it is <laughs> you're playing games with him the avatar should be training Aang has already trained enough for today. Time is short. Come with me. I must test you on some high-level techniques. No, as long as I am his guardian, I will decide when he trains. And when he gets his butt kicked at Sho. <laughs> so for me, when I hear this scene and when I engage with it, I'm... Thinking about this this monk who comes in, interrupts them, and his name is Tashi, apparently, according to the Avatar Wiki, but Tashi says, You're playing games with him? He should be training! Time is short! Come with me! I'll test you on these techniques! And for, for me, that is operating from a place of scarcity, to believe that you have to spend... Every moment that this child is awake, focusing on training and not letting them engage with the world from a place of joy and engage with the, the, the games and the rest and the play that is needed in order to develop into a you know loving and caring adult. And what I really appreciate about is that Gyatso is not operating from a place of scarcity. He's saying that I will decide when he's training and when he gets his butt kicked at Pai Show. And so I think Monk Gyatso is giving us this opportunity to see what life is like when we are not operating from scarcity in this moment, right? Because this is where it is. He's living as the Avatar, and we know that there's this impending war coming. And I, I think that anytime we fail to focus on the human as an individual and prioritize, you know, their skill or their their job ahead of their their humanity, this is what can happen. And so I, I think this is a, a pretty opt example of what this could be. Uh you know, another one that comes up is, you know, is definitely one of Sokka. And so I want to kind of bring us into this moment in season three, episode four, Sokka's master where you know the gang just saved uh, the city from disaster and Sokka was kind of not helpful or useful during this moment and you know Aang comes in and is like man you have no idea they have no idea how close they were to getting toasted last night And, and Toph is like yeah I miss being hero worshipped and then Sokka is like boo hoo poor heroes and then Katara asks, what's your problem? And he responds this way. It's just, all you guys can do this awesome bending stuff, like putting out forest fires and flying around and making other stuff fly around. I can't fly around, okay? I can't do anything. And man, if that doesn't hit you in the feels, I'm just, oh, Because we've all felt that way. We've all felt uh, when when we're comparing ourselves to the people around us that have skills that we do not, then, you know, this seems like a, a moment of scarcity for Sokka. It seems like he is really struggling from a place of not enough, of I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not capable enough of defending the world like you all are. And that really kind of speaks to this moment of scarcity. and. There are a lot more in the show, and I'm curious if you can think of other examples. So uh, if you can think of other moments, bring them to mind and then share them with us. Moments in your own lives as well, in in the Avatar universe or in other fandoms. And send them to us. Send us a voicemail at thearchivee at gmail.com about a moment of scarcity in the Avatar universe that has resonated with you. So I guess now what I would like to do is just kind of... Speak from my experience you know I I feel scarcity a lot and it's something that I'm definitely working on And like it's something often <laughs> the first thing I think of is like man I didn't get enough sleep or for me I also like I mentioned you know money earlier all of these enoughs and you know, grind culture tells me that I'm never enough and I'm only worth what I produce and I know I'm not alone in this and I encourage us all to just examine the personal tapes in order to cultivate just that that little more awareness as we grapple this I these ideas. And remembering that, remember, like awareness is we have to do it by being compassionate with ourselves and loving ourselves while we become aware of these tapes. And I am not good at it, but I am trying to get better, and that's why we're engaging with this. So Oftentimes, again, these, these tapes that we play in our minds can be traced back to our formative years. You know, pick a never enough statement that plays in your head, whatever it is for you, and, and think back to what is the first time that you remember feeling that way? For me, I, I remember playing a game of football with my brothers and his friends when I was like five or six. And I remember, you know... Somehow, I got the ball, and I just started running as fast as I could. But I was naturally running the wrong way and was promptly ridiculed. And it's, you know, it's one of the first times that I was told that I was not manly enough. And having this, you know, played in my head, I wonder if I can relate this back to Sokka a little bit, I wonder if Sokka felt this way when he was confronted by Zuko in episode two. He is trained, he's donned his war paint, he wasn't even a threat to Zuko. But that being said, I honestly wonder, what what if this tape kind of dug in its heels when he was left alone as the proclaimed man of the village? And... I don't know. I I wonder if that tape has been in there saying, I feel like I'm not enough or I'm not manly enough or I'm not strong enough. And I wonder if that's something that he was playing in his mind pretty early on. I I obviously do not know, but I I think it's definitely worth considering. So let's dive in a little bit more. Uh, And remember that this is uh, a process, not a decision. One does not simply... (laughs) become wholehearted or decide to be wholehearted and then poof, it's not magic right it's a process and you know honestly I, I think about we I mentioned Zuko earlier, but I think Zuko's entire arc is less about redemption and and more of an arc towards wholeheartedness. Zuko is struggling to fit into his father's ideals and he begins to embrace his authenticity the whole series and again it's not in any one particular moment that this happens even after he confronts Ozai he still gets frustrated and says why am I so good bad at being good and Zuko's journey tells me that this is a process and it gives me you know just a little bit of hope that I can I can move forward and not be good at it but still get there eventually we have to practice and develop these skills and mindsets, right? But it's not just Zuko's journey, but it's, it's also Aang's journey, and really all of our journeys, right? And, you know, Bernay's quote at the end of the introduction really speaks to this for me. Here it is. Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy. The experiences that make us the most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. And again, ultimately, this is why we set an intention at the beginning of these episodes, right? We want to own it we want to get proximate to the darkness so that we can own our stories and rewrite the endings and you know one of the one of the things that we can do that is by by setting that intention by doing what we call our, our devotion at the end of our episodes and Brene Brown calls it dig in this book and dig being an acronym for D being deliberate thoughts and behaviors through prayer or meditation or intention settings which is basically our entire episode where we're deliberating and focusing and, you know, uh, people can see that as a, as a form of prayer, meditation, and or setting intention. And theoretically, what that does is by engaging with it in that way, it inspires us because we weren't walking away with new, uh, new lenses and new thoughts about the lens to inspire us to make change and to make new choices, which is that I, Inspire. To make new choices and then g to take action so theoretically we're setting an intention based off of our thoughts and our inspirations from discussing the episode and now we're going to take action and put that into practice right and so each of these episodes of bending not breaking is meant to create that for us we deliberate we inspire and we hopefully get going right in between episodes so Thank you for kind of indulging me as we kind of go through this that uh kind of covers our our preface and intro and we're going to turn to chapter one so i'm excited let's do it book, its root is the Latin for core or heart, or to speak one's mind by telling all of one's heart. And, you know, a- asking for what we need is one of the bravest things that we'll ever do. And whenever we are working with with people who, you know, I- I'm reminded of you know, children at summer camp who say, I... Uh, I don't want to, to climb the, uh, the Alpine Tower, which is a really tall climbing structure, but they are really nervous and they wanted to do it, and they come up and they're, they have their harness on, they have their helmet on, and they're getting ready to climb, and they say, I don't want to do it. And oftentimes we try to encourage people to, you know, I'll be with you the whole time. I can like establishing safety so that they feel comfortable, but also when they choose not to, saying that is that is brave. It is brave of you to to believe that to to listen to your body, to to listen to yourself and know that you are being brave knowing that you know other people would and could like take advantage of your your nervousness and call you weak or call you uh, oh you're scaredy-cat but no that's bravery right there is admitting to the people around you that you're feeling vulnerable that right there is bravery and that's just that's just an example right and courage asks that we share Right, that we share our vulnerabilities, that we share what is on our heart, but but really, y'all, we have to be careful because it's not just sharing it with people, with anybody willy nilly, right? Because that's when like you know all of the retorts come in and say, "Oh, you're a scaredy cat, right?" Right? It's it's we have to avoid the people who are going to take advantage of that. And so what that means is we have to cultivate trust, and we have to cultivate these things that uh, have import to the relationship, that value the relationship. And so what Brene Brown does uh, in the book is offer, these are the people that you should avoid, the people that respond the following ways. And and the first one, right, is sympathy versus empathy. And, you know, it's like, oh, man, I just, I really, I'm having a hard time. I just broke out with my significant other. And, you know, the other person responds with, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And that, that is that is sympathy. That is not empathy, right? Sympathy is I'm sorry for you and empathy is I am sorry with you. And uh, she is clear to kind of differentiate between the two in the, in the book. So that's just an example. And, and the, the way she kind of lifts it up in other settings is if you were to walk up to someone who's down, has fallen down into a hole, the person who's feeling sympathy is going to say hey what happened and the person's gonna be like i fell into a hole and the person at the top of the hole is like man i'm real sorry but then like that's the end of the conversation and then they walk away whereas someone who has empathy is going to you know climb down into the hole but they're not going to climb down into the hole without a way out like they this is not their hole if you do climb in without a way out that's enmeshment that is that is not that's not the same as empathy but empathy is being able to go down in there and say this is this is really hard and i I, you might even say and i'm I'm really sorry but it's not going to come across the same way as sympathy does so i just want to lift up the difference there uh, so that's number one. I feel sorry for you. That's sympathy versus empathy. The second one is you should feel shame. You should feel judged. like that is that is not okay. And I'm reminded of this scene. And who? Who are you angry at? Answer the question, Zuko. Talk to us. Come on, Answer the question Come on, Answer it. I'm angry at myself. So I'm not sure I know the difference between right and wrong anymore. You're pathetic. Ugh. Oh, and that right there, when Azula is like, "You're pathetic," that right there is judgment of of him in his confusion and not knowing. Like his vulnerability is just out there right now, <laughs> and Azula responds with the words, "You're pathetic." and that to me feels like judgment um and there are a lot more examples of judgment in this show and so i I want to again invite you to if you can remember moments like lift them up let's share them out let's let's call them out so that we can become aware as we're watching because the more aware we are the more we can do something about it and the more noticing the more uh, we can be critical So, that's the second. You should feel shame because I am judging you. And then there's the third one. Well, oh, you're letting me down. And this is the response of when you share something vulnerable or what feels particularly shaming for you, the other person responds with disappointment. Oh, I'm so disappointed in you. And like, oh, man, sometimes that hurts even more than judgment. And, you know, this is this is the story that i imagine zuko is telling himself about how Iro will react in at the finale in sozin's common part two and he's been you know he made some egregious errors and he really was worried about his the way he was going to reunite with his uncle but instead of responding in a disappointed way Iroh responds like this I am so sorry and ashamed of what I did. I don't know how I can ever make it up to you, but I... <laughs> How can you forgive me so easily? I thought you would be furious with me. I was never angry with you. I was sad because I was afraid you'd lost your way oh my god i just want to tear up and just like oh my the feels oh this is it like this is what we want like and you'll notice that I, I really want to be clear here you know ira says that i was i was afraid that you had lost your way it was never i'm disappointed in you right i it was, I like, ah, oh, oh, it was just, it's so well articulated. So I just want to lift that moment up as something we don't want to conflate, right? Because the story Zuko was sharing was that he was ashamed, he was scared, and Iroh just comes in with this big hug and says, I was never disappointed in you. I was disappointed and scared because I was afraid you lost your way. And so that is a drastically different message than, oh, I'm really disappointed in you, right? Man, what a different response. So I, kudos to Iroh for, for teaching us a, a better way to, to consider this. So the next one is blame, right? And you know, this is really interesting because there's a, there's a lot of blaming that happens uh, in this in this whole series. And I wanna lift us up to to this one. And I guess I should say before we dive in I should have said this earlier But remembering that this is, you know We are a spoiler podcast And we will be mentioning moments from All of the series So Atla and Korra And the comics and the books So just FYI, FYI Here comes one from Korra So, by freeing Vatu, I let chaos into the world? Precisely The human and spirit realms Are headed toward annihilation And it's all your fault. Generally speaking, anytime someone says it's all your fault, I don't think that's a great response. It's, you know, it's pretty blaming. And, um, you know, while Juan in this moment uh, did something, he didn't intend to do it. But, like, you know, there's this thing about intention and impact that's really worth navigating. And yes, can we hold this person accountable without blaming them? I think we can. And so I just, you know, for the, you know, for the spirit of good to be a little bit blamey is, you know, uh, really interesting because I think oftentimes it's the good part of us. It's the self righteousness within us. It's the things where we're coming from a place of this is how it should be. That's where that blame comes from sometimes. And I think it's, you know, somewhat interesting to consider how. Rava is this the force of light and peace and yet is kind of blamey just want to just want to put that out there all right the next couple uh, we will go through a little bit more uh, quickly but you know the next one is let's make it go away we're gonna minimize that and uh, oh it's not that bad and you know again I, I want to revisit that moment with Sokka that we played earlier in season 3 episode 4 Uh, after Sokka says he can't do anything, the gang tries to comfort him and they all really just minimize. And they say, oh, it's not true. You're good at this and you're good at that. And ultimately, this isn't what helps him because it's not what he needs in this moment. He doesn't need to be comforted. He needs empathy. He needs to be sat with something. He wants somebody to sit with him in the dark, right? He wants someone to understand where he's coming from. And I think that Ultimately, he finds actions that lead him out of this. But in that moment, I don't think that what they said helped him at all. So just wanted to lift that one up there. And so the next one is if you think that's bad and then that's the comparing and competing. And, you know, it wasn't explicitly said in that moment with the beach that we played earlier, but this the beach episode around that campfire is like a whole mood of if you think that's bad, let me tell you about my life. Because, you know, first it's Tai Lee, then May then Zuko, then Azula, and they all just kind of like escalate and like, oh my goodness, that sucks. <laughs> and it just feels like it scales in this turmoil. And, you know, while it's not directly said in the scene that, you know, oh, if you think that's bad, I think it's still present. Uh, do you feel it? Do you feel that sense of comparing, uh, you know, horror stories because you know, maybe it's just me, but I'm I'm curious if you feel it as well, what, and if not, what are other scenes in the avatar universe that remind you of this, this comparison? Um, Oh, if you think that's bad kind of mentality. All right. Now I want to go to the, the, there's two more, don't upset people or make them uncomfortable. Speak truth to power and man, like this reminds me of Korra as well, and especially kind of diving into the comics, even where people are trying to hold Korra back from speaking the truth to power, especially in respect to President Raiko, where you know he's like, "I'm all presidential and it's my job, and you're just a teenager," and blah, 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 blah. right, don't upset the status quo. Is this one like when you ex- express your vulnerabilities and you talk about like real real issues? oh, we don't, we don't say that because that makes everybody uncomfortable. And let's be real, that is not a good reason not to express the vulnerability and shame, especially if it's speaking truth to power. So i just just very admirable of Cora here uh, when we think about all of her relationships, because that is something she is definitely comfortable with, is speaking truth to power, which I appreciate. And then lastly is the I can fix you. And I can fix this. The advice giving, the problem solving, oh, just do this, which again is, you know, very present throughout the series. So, this is the person who just isn't willing to sit in the darkness because they want to turn the light back on. So, those are the ways that uh, we don't want to respond to people who are expressing, you know, vulnerability and potentially are in shame. And so, that's just worth noting. And so, having the courage to speak does not mean you're willing to speak to anyone. It means you're willing to speak to people and share your vulnerabilities with people who you have built a rapport with who will not treat you and respond in these ways. Okay, uh, two more things to cover in this episode. The, the next one is compassion. So, Bernadette Brown talks about compassion in this chapter and kind of uh, outlines it as compassion is to suffer with. Compassion. uh, I really love the Pema Chodron uh, quote that is shared. Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded; it's a relationship between equals. And only when we know our darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. Right? It's this. If you go, it's the same premise of like the empathy meaning of like going down into the hole. It's only when you know your hole really well can you you know, safely go into the hole of others without um, becoming enmeshed or exacerbating the problem. And, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of Toff's conversation with Iroh in in season two, The Chase, where they're having tea and this is a moment where they, they both end up sharing some vulnerabilities, and Iroh talks about his struggles with his nephew, and Toph talks about his struggle or her struggles, sorry, with uh, her parents. And they are willing to share because over the course of this conversation they show that they are willing to listen to the other. And I think that's really beautiful. And, you know, there is advice at the end, but the way that Toph offers it is with caveats it's saying hey you you don't have to listen to this but i think that they would probably enjoy blah blah, blah. and so it's uh, that tentative um, advice giving if you are going to advice give make sure it's not hey a, hey you should you should do this but more of a i i wonder if or something along those lines that tentative language is really helps um, make it so that it's not coming from a healer to the wounded, but um, that it's a relationship between equals. And you'll notice that she also talks about in the book how compassionate people are boundaried people, because only when we are able to love ourselves are we able to really love others well. And so we have to have boundaries around what we're willing to do and what we're willing not to do in order to feel comfortable doing that. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more next episode in terms of uh, what it means to love ourselves and how that helps us help love others. But uh, I just want to prepare you for that conversation, knowing that it's coming and knowing why I'm not necessarily diving in right now, because Renee Brown talks about it in the next couple of chapters. Which brings us to connection. Connection is the last thing that is uh, theoretically necessary to uh, engage in wholehearted living. So connection is defined as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment, and when they can derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. And man, I want me some connection because that sounds great, right? Like, And I think what's really beautiful about this is that connection impacts brain development. It impacts performance. We, as humans, need connection in order to survive. And so having the skills to cultivate this and to to lean into it and utilize it is something that we all desperately need. And I think it's really important because Brené Brown talks about this this idea that until we can receive with an open heart, we are never really giving with an open heart. And I think that's attached to to help and receiving help and giving help, but it's also I think, in receiving connection and being willing to receive connection from an open from uh, willing to receive vulnerability with openness. We're never really able to give vulnerability with openness, if that makes sense. So when we attach judgment to receiving, we unknowingly or knowingly even attach judgment to giving, right? If we perceive vulnerability as weakness, if we perceive asking for help as weakness, then we are attaching judgment to giving help and giving vulnerability away as well. So I think that's really worth grappling with for us. And I think the final thing about that is that connection is just, it's got to flow in both directions. It's not something, it's not a one-way street. Connection must go both ways. And so when I think about the relationships between the gangs, the team avatars, if you will, there's, There's always going to be some turmoil, but there's a lot of connection that's built, and it's often going both ways. There's mutual affection between everybody amongst the team, and I think it's worth noting that um, all the connection goes and flows in multiple directions. Okay, so (laughs) as you might have realized already, uh, we could easily do one episode on... Every individual facet of this conversation that we've had, and yet we are—we're going to stop here for now and not let the perfect be the enemy of of good enough. So that's that's kind of the content. We've we've done it. We've we've gone through uh, through chapter one, and we've kind of covered these things and, and sought out avatar moments that have given us an opportunity to learn and engage with the material. So next time we. Uh, We'll dive into pages 32 through 65, and again, I'm using the edition of the 10th Anniversary Edition, and uh, again, this is going to take us through the end of Chapter 3, if you're not using the Anniversary Edition. And this is the Gifts of Imperfection, and we're going to see where that takes us into the world of Avatar, and I I don't know yet, I haven't haven't recorded the episode, but uh, after that, we'll take on the 10 guideposts one at a time, so I'm excited to dive into this journey with you. Alright, so if you have an idea for a cool segment uh, for for these episodes, tweet at us, Instagram message us, DM us, email us. On all the medias, we're, the handle's the same everywhere. It's BNB underscore pod. Feel free to join our Facebook group as well. We'll discuss the episodes, talk about the world of Avatar. We'll do some polls to ask about lenses for future episodes, all the things. And we just invite you to be... Uh, to cultivate these things and to ponder these things and think about what it will be to implement some of these things now that we've talked about them. Uh, Once we get to the guidepost, we'll probably set up a a devotion kind of again, just to think about with this information, what are we going to do with it? But for now, I just want to thank Brene Brown for offering us this text to learn from. I want to thank Alex Mayfield, Noah Blanchard, and Max Godaware for helping make this podcast successful And I want to thank all of our Patreon supporters for ensuring that we can continue things like this. And uh, thank you all for for being here, being present, and thank you for listening. Uh, We also wouldn't do it if there were no people listening. So here we are, and here we are uh, making a product uh, imperfectly, hoping that it uh, serves a purpose in the world. So that's the end. And until next time, be well and do good.